You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Tom Jackman, a criminal justice reporter here at The Post. Uh, We want to focus on the epidemic of gun violence in America today, and I'm really excited to talk to the police chief of Omaha because they've had such amazing success in reducing gun violence in Omaha. Uh, My guest is the chief of the Omaha, Nebraska police, Todd Schmatter. Welcome, Chief Schmatter. Thank you. Thanks for having us on this morning, Tom. Chief, uh, the numbers don't lie, I don't think. Maybe they do. You'll tell me. In a city with a population of nearly 500,000, the number of gunshot victims in Omaha has been cut in half in the past 15 years. The number of non-fatal shootings in Omaha dropped from 246 in 2009 to 121 last year. Even had a year where we had 90 victims. And the number of homicides has dropped from 50 in 2015 to 30 last year. What's working? And tell us more about Omaha 360 if there are things besides Omaha, besides Omaha 360 that we should know about. Yeah, absolutely. So the numbers don't lie. About 15 years ago, the city of Omaha, by our standards, we, we thought we had an epidemic number of shootings. And when you have those shootings in the city, you're, as those ebb and flow, your homicides are going to ebb and flow. But we really looked at our number of shootings because of the representative sample and said, as a community and as a police department, we've got to get a handle on this. Too many of our citizens are dying. Too many of our citizens are being shot. So in conjunction with the community, mainly the Empowerment Network 360 and the Omaha Police Department, we started this off about 15 years ago with the premise of just reducing that, the gun violence. And over the course of time, it has grown. We've added much more community groups. And through through the progression of 15 years, you see Omaha, a city of half a million population, at at its lowest levels in 40 years of violent crime, when you consider homicides and shootings. And if you look at the years 2016, 17, 18, and 19, we were at 40-year lows. 40-year lows for those categories of homicides and shootings. The pandemic spiked us a little bit as we lost our community partners during that time. And now that we've got them back because of the pandemic being over, we're right back to where we started. That momentum is going good, and we're we're trending to those 40-year lows again. So very, very pleased with police and community relationship in the city of Omaha. And that is my greatest contributor to our, to our decline. So let's talk about some of the specific aspects of Omaha 360. You've got collaboration, recovery and reentry, uh, enforcement, intervention and prevention, uh, support services, and it looks like you've added one more recently, sustainable funding and support to, to keep it going long term. Uh, what do some of those things mean in, in real terms? What, what are examples of how the community gets involved we know how the police work somewhat, but how does the community work with the police or in the community to stop shootings? Yeah, I'll, I'll answer that by adding just two more categories. One is sustainability. It's been around for 15 years. And two is timeliness. And this, this goes into my answer to your question. The reason it's so successful is we bring everybody in under one umbrella. And the Empowerment Network 360 is the driver of that. And we have a timely meeting every Wednesday at 2 o'clock in the city of Omaha. 
And those meetings have been going on for 15 years and we'll average 100 members each, each and every week for the most part. And the beauty of those meetings are is we can analyze what's going on in the city on a weekly basis. We can triage problems. And when problems do occur, because you know we have 900 officers in this city, we have a half a million population, sometimes police community relations issues will pop up. They don't fester because we address them right there at that two o'clock meeting every Wednesday. So the timeliness and gathering everybody under one umbrella, focusing on various aspects, all those aspects you mentioned, and, and doing it for a sustained period of time of 15 years, has been Omaha's progression of, of health in our city and our vital signs are good as far as crime goes. So what happens, you've got a two o'clock meeting and then people leave. So what do people, can you give us an example, what do people in the community do that help you guys? What, what steps, they leave the meeting, now what do they do to, to stop the next shooting? Right, uh, well, so there's a two o'clock meeting we do, we'll go and we'll present. This is where we're having a problem. This is maybe the issue that's going on. Let's just say hypothetically here, we have a neighborhood that's been prone to some gang violence. We will talk as an agency as to what we're doing, either enforcement, intervention, or prevention. And then the community that's with us at that meeting will work on the reentry. They'll do an adopt-a-block. They'll get in the, in the gang intervention specialists, former gang members who are working the streets, will hit that area and we'll try to intervene and prevent that next spat of violence. And it's been very successful because every, every city is going to have your spikes of violence. A lot of times you're judged by how well you can intervene in those. And in, in the city of Omaha, it's really a shared responsibility. The numbers of shootings, homicides, our clearance rate, the complaints against police officers, all those areas are tracked. We talk about them every week, and those we consider those are vital signs. And, and every week we attempt to address those. So we have in DC people we call violence interrupters who go into communities and try to, you know, stop things before they start. Is that an example of something that you guys have in Omaha where people, you talked about adopt a block or gang intervention, what, what do they do to intervene? Right, so those violence interrupters, absolutely we have them. And they may be phrased differently in every city. But we have them here as well. And what they what they do is they're very adept at knowing who has been involved in the gang life, who's a potential victim, uh, who might be susceptible to be the one doing the shootings. And they'll work with those individuals and try to steer them in the right direction. It might be helping them get out of the city. It might be helping them get some resources or a new place to live where they're not being targeted by gun violence. Um, there's various aspects to that. <clears throat> I would say, Tom, the interesting part of Omaha is when we first started doing this, the enforcement piece, law enforcement's role was about 80 to 90 percent of what we were doing. 80 to 90 percent of what we were doing, we were hitting it very hard early on, and we have progressed to a model of about 30, 30, 30. We do about 30 percent enforcement, 30 percent, 30 percent intervention, and 30 percent prevention. And that's really an ideal mix for a city, and it's a progression to get there. And, and when you talk about uh, policing in the community, if you talk about police community relations, a couple of things that I look at to, to kind of gauge how well you're doing, do you have a 30-30 mix like I described? And how is your homicide clearance rates? Your, your clearance rates really, a quick snapshot will define a city 
as to how well their police community relations are because you need the community to come forward, talk to you, and identify who the shooters are and get a handle on your violence. I, I had that question saved for later, but let's go to it now because you've mentioned it a couple times. Your clearance rates have soared. You're solving a lot more crimes. And are you saying that's just because people are more cooperative with the police? Why are your clearance rates up so much? Yeah, I think it's twofold, Tom. I think obviously advances in policing and technology and, and, and cell phones, everybody has one. Those help when, when you solve crime. But really, we used to average maybe 30, 60, 50%, maybe a 50% average way back. And about 10 years ago, we kind of turned the tide. And all of a sudden, in the last 10 years, we've averaged an 80% clearance rate. And when you look at the what was the driving force behind the city of Omaha's violent crime, and you'll see this replicated in a lot of cities, it, it's, it was gang and gun violence. And that gang and gun violence is, is an interesting dynamic in the sense your typical CSI maneuvers and prowess with DNA and all of that isn't necessarily effective in gang and gun violence when you have, <clears throat> when you have a drive-by shooting. You really need to have that witness say, I saw this car, I think it was this person, and you can grow with your clearance rate on that front. And, we, and we've done that, and we talk about this at our 360, and it helps us generate people to come forward. And that 80% clearance rate over 10 years, we, we've looked at that, and we think that's been a huge benefit, and we, we feel it's a great marker of where we're at. If we ever see that start to decline, we will reverse course and refix what we need to do. Yeah, that's an eye-popping statistic, 80%. Uh, now, I would note that you've been at this for about 15 years. Uh, and so would you, a lot of other cities are now looking at, at this. And I know Kansas City has been up there and is trying to start KC360. Right. Do you advise them that to be patient, that this is going to take a while? How long was it before you guys started to see an impact of all this? So we've been at it for 15 years, and obviously the staying power is, is a very impressive piece. I've been chief coming up on 11 years in August, so, so we've, we've had some uh, symbiotic relationship. But we weren't always successful. We, we've had the ability to adapt and adjust, and I, I do think this is um, adaptable to other cities, and I do feel that you can make an instant change. You're not going to go from a 50% clearance rate to 80% that first day. You're not gonna go from 200 shootings to 100 that very first year, but you can start to see a little bit of an impact that first year, start to get things ramped up, get all your partners involved, and then you'll hit that momentum piece. And if it's done right, that momentum could take you a lot further than you ever thought you could go, and that's what's happened in Omaha. That sounds like you could get some people's hopes up pretty high pretty quick. Uh, and so let me, let's go to a, we have a question from a viewer in Minnesota, uh, and Julie Jensen in Minnesota asks, what's the first step a city should take to reduce gun violence? And I don't know if it's forming something like what you just, what Omaha is doing, but, but, uh, here's a city, tell them what to do. The very first step, I'll say one A and one B. The first step is that violent crime that's going on in your city, that is a, it's a shared responsibility between the community and the police department to address that. And then the step 1B is define your markers of success. 
categorize how many shootings you have. Where did you start? Where are you going with it? What is your clearance rate? Where's it at? What's your number of homicides? What are they at now? Keep those going. Keep those alive. Talk about them in the media. Share a responsibility for addressing them because your successes will be highlighted and it start to build momentum. And then when you start to lose track of some data, you can kind of reorganize how things do. And it's, it's, it's also a way that it becomes our data. It's not the police department's data, it's our data. And too, too many cities that I see as we travel is have an opportunity to visit other cities. And a lot of times that relational piece between the community and the police department, it's, it's talked about being there. But in Omaha, there is actually complete buy-in. When we have spikes in crime, the community gets together on that Wednesday and says, what do we need to do to address our numbers here? Rather than point at the police department and, and prod, get this taken care of. How come you haven't resolved this? It's a joint venture. And I, I would consider that uh, to, your, to your viewer who posed the question as 1A and 1B is out of start. Uh, another aspect of this was that in addition to reducing gun violence around 2015, there were 10 reform recommendations identified by OMA 360 for the police. And your department has implemented many of these recommendations uh, and significantly adverse, increased diversity within your department. Use of force has been reduced by officers. Officer-involved shootings have declined sharply from 11 in 2010 to a low of one in 2019, three last year, and complaints against police have been reduced by 50%. So what changed in your department? Well, you know, best practices have changed in, in our community partnerships. You know, the 360, the model that we use, we're looking to better the Omaha Police Department as well. We're looking across the country. And if we see something occur across the country that we don't have here, it's brought up at that meeting and we look to see what we can do. One thing that the Omaha Police Department noticed in 2020 is we had a lot of the reform measures in place. We had very few changes that we made, although even then we adapted and made some changes to the way we police in the aftermath of the George Floyd incident. So the, it's not only the community statistics and the community bring the violent crime down, it's the community's police department. So we evolved right along with them and, and the community often pointed out some of our flaws and we were able to address that ebb and flow. And it's not always gonna be easy at the start, Tom, there's gonna be some resistance from the community side, there's gonna be resistance from the officers. But if once you start plowing that together, and being in the same room every Wednesday, you start to form a relationship. And the one thing I've noticed is when, you're, when you get to know somebody, very seldom do you dislike, very seldom. So now we're all in the same room, we're all on the same page, and we all, we all like it. And, and that's, that's just been a really pleasant thing for me to see as chief, very proud of the community of the city. What did you mean when you said that you did some changes after George Floyd and that members of the community had pointed out flaws. What, what changed there specifically? Right. So, so we had a, a civil unrest in the city of Omaha. We did have to call in the National Guard for a few days. And, and we changed and modified and tweaked a few things we did as to how to address large-scale protests. Um, proud of how we handled it, how, proud of how we interacted with our city. But we didn't take that and say, okay, we did a good job. We always take it and say, what can we do a little better? So we made some tweaks got some loudspeakers that work a little more, but also 
in our use of force policy, we added a duty to intervene. Now, we always trained on it. We always made it a part of our practice. But that duty of intervene piece is now front and center on our use of force policy. And the point of that is, when you had the George Floyd incident, you had some officers there that could have pushed the other officer off his knee. And we want that duty and we want that onus on our police officers. So we added that. We added that in the aftermath. And that's the constant piece we're always trying to learn from. And it wasn't acrimonious. It was in conjunction with our community, which was the beautiful piece of it. Something some of your predecessors talked about was holding officers accountable. And I think you've talked about it, too. Uh, But does the public see that when most police disciplinary processes are largely secret and has accountability inured to your department's credit in the community? Well, you you obviously have to hold officers accountable really on both ends, though, Tom. If if, uh, egregious errors and deliberate errors are made, you have to hold them accountable very directly and very uh, succinctly, but also hold them accountable for their good work, too, and acknowledge that the work that they do is very good. So that, that's a two-edged sword. But inevitably, in a large city, it's population certainty that with all the cameras and cell phones and everything out that there, there's going to be something caught on camera. There's going to be some measure that's going to be public. And oftentimes for chiefs, those can be gifts, those, especially for a new chief. It gives an opportunity to establish what your boundaries are, what your guidelines are. And the community gets to see your standards and accountability as well. And, and inevitably, again, you're going to have that happen in a community. But also, when you meet every week, community members will come forward with some of their complaints. I'll, I'll give you a real high-level example of how I started realizing this is a successful formula. Uh, Terrence Cropper, the world championship boxer, lives in the city of Omaha. He's one of our our famous great residents here. And in the aftermath of one of his early fights in Omaha, there was a large scale disturbance that required a lot of officers to attend. And we end up having to shut the event down. <laughs> Mr. Crawford came to the 360 meeting and said, you know, I could use a little help with this. What can we do a little better? We then worked with the management team of Terrence Crawford now in the aftermath of, of any of his fights there's, there's great after hours parties we haven't had any problems that is an example of the police and the community working together at, at a very high level example because of his high name of how it can be successful you dial that down to just a regular citizen though and we address those problems on a weekly basis and if they don't come up it's on a bi-weekly basis we take them as they come uh on ABC recently, your deputy chief, Scott Gray, talked about being aware about officers being aware of the impact of their making arrests. And he said, we always thought of our job as enforcement and not necessarily being involved on the backside of it. It all makes sense now, but certainly you didn't think about, well, what's this guy going to do when he comes back to the community? For many years, that was not thought to be a part of the police officer's job, pondering the backside as Chief Gray said, are your officers thinking about that now? And, and does that have an effect on how they do their jobs? We, we, do, we do think about it. We, we're of the belief that you cannot arrest your way out of a problem. That is not the way we want to police. We want to, when we take enforcement action, and sometimes it has to take place. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> sometimes uh, 
in order to give somebody the, the mechanisms and intervention and the, the services they need, sometimes they need to have that when they're behind bars if they've committed an egregious crime. But the point that we believe in Omaha is you cannot arrest your way out of it. And 97% of the people that enter our prison system are going to get out. You need to have them come out better than what they were before. And then we also would like to see what we can do to prevent them from getting there. In, in a lot of ways, Tom, if we have to make an arrest, it's almost kind of a failure. It's almost a failure that we had to make that arrest. But it is a society and people will always commit some crimes and you do need that enforcement piece. But as you said, in the past, I don't think law enforcement agencies really ever thought about that moment after the, when you arrested somebody. And it's especially talked about in Omaha as, as we relate to juvenile crime. It does us no good in a society that when that juvenile turns 19 and becomes an adult and we arrest them a week later. That's almost a failure of our juvenile justice system that we did not intervene, we did not rehab, we did not bring them back into a, a fold. So we, we look at some of these as failure points and, and we try to grow from that. But it is great to have a police department that's looking two, three steps behind what we used to not see 10, 15, 20 years ago. That's a, a fascinating perspective. When you say, if we look at arrests, sometimes it's almost a failure. That's a great point about the juvenile system. Do you think this is applicable in big cities? Can, is this transferable? Can we use this in Chicago, in LA? What do you think? So I do, I do think it's transferable. And, and we hosted a, a symposium here recently. We had about 30 cities across the country kind of weigh in. And watch us and myself and Willie Barney, who's the founder of the Empowerment Network 360, we spoke about how you can replicate this in other cities. When you talk of a New York, when you talk of a Los Angeles, obviously the train of those cities is vast and the policing dynamics are gonna become much more complex. However, every city and every policing agency will try to break that down into manageable parts. And so one 360 group here is Omaha Empowerment Network 360. You might need to have 20 in Los Angeles. You might need to have 20 in New York City. So I do think it's scalable. Kansas City, we've worked with uh, Kansas City and they're bringing up the 360 program now. And I, I believe over the course of time, in two, three years, you're gonna start seeing some fruits of the labor there because they've got some really good uh, commanders, a great chief and, and the community that's involved in their 360, very impressive. So they're, they're gonna be a, a, a model that I think everybody should watch for the next several years. I, I was particularly, particularly taken aback by the reduction in the number of officer-involved shootings. Uh, and I'd be interested to know why you think that's happened in Omaha and why isn't it happening everywhere? I mean, in an age where cameras are everywhere and cops are wearing body cameras, the number of police-involved shootings is not going down. So I don't know if you think that Omaha is different or an anomaly or these are just some good years for you well, guys, but what's, why aren't police shootings going down nationwide and why are they going down in Omaha? So let, let's kind of, I'll, I'll talk about what our cocktail is as we think works in Omaha. Uh, but, but first of all, you're right, the number of officer-involved shootings actually have gone up. And with all the tension, uh, tension placed on policing in 2020, you would think that maybe that would go down, but it isn't. Uh, a lot of times, if you look at the access line of the number of guns that are out in the community and the number of gun seizures, they're going way up. 
And so maybe naturally you see the officer-involved shootings go up. It's, it's, that's one thing that you might want to look at as far as two data points. But in Omaha, our number of guns that we see is going way up. We're at our highest level, but our officer-involved shootings are at our bare minimum. And, and we feel that the 360 model and empowerment after has helped us with that as well. And I'll kind of give you a, how this formulated. So our initial data points that we looked at for success in our Omaha was shootings, homicides, homicide clearance rates, and the number of complaints. And once we saw improvement of all of those, we at one point added the data point of officer-involved shootings. We wanted to reduce the aggregate number of shootings in a city. And our cocktail was this. Uh, every officer has a taser. We felt we needed a less lethal option. We felt that too many of our citizens were shot with an edged weapon that maybe the taser could have been uh, useful for. So we supplied every officer with a taser. Every officer has a body-worn camera that helps kind of moderate the tension in a room. Uh, we did robust training, especially mental health training, as we learned how to interface with our community at a very high level. And then that fourth piece is, and, and this is just a, my, my correlation belief as a, as a tenure chief, cities that support law enforcement and law enforcement that want to be guardians for the community can have a lower number of officer-involved shootings. Uh, let's go to one last question I had for you was about a, uh, a letter recently sent out to police chiefs by the head of the Police Executive Research Forum, Chuck Wexler, calling on police chiefs to publicly stand up and support a ban on assault rifles, which he said chiefs had done in the 1990s, the last time one of these bans was imposed. What's your take on this? Should police chiefs get involved? Do you think they will? And uh, do you think that banning a AR-15s would have a significant impact? Well, you know, every city is going to have their own set of uh, political points. In, 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 from my position as chief, as 11-year chief, it would, would be great from a law enforcement perspective if, if assault rifles were just gone. But you have to be a little bit realistic. They're out there, and you have to try to adjust to whatever the terrain of the laws are and what the political feel is for your particular city. Obviously, assault rifles can be very problematic to a community by way of uh, mass shootings. We see that quite a bit. And it's also a very formidable weapon those officers will encounter when they respond to those mass shootings. So what is the political spectrum of the city? What direction do they want to go? And the one thing that I always say is, Chief, when you, talk, when you want to look at gun laws, um, don't expect immediate success or immediate failure. Take a look at where you want to be 10 years down the road because there's so many guns on the street now. That law probably won't really sink in until about a decade away anyways. So that's kind of my thoughts on it. Personally, you know, uh, you know, the assault rifle piece is a challenge for my law enforcement officers to deal with. So in that, in that facet, I'm against it. Do you think it would help if chiefs stood up as a, as a group and said, you know, we, this body uh, of knowledgeable law enforcement feel this way? Do you think that could have an impact on the debate? I think it can, I think it can help in your local community when the chief stands up and they know they have a list of chiefs behind them that, that have their back. I think that you can take that to a community and buttress your message, yes. Well, 
Unfortunately, we're having to leave it there. Police Chief Schmader, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. And uh, thank you, Tom, to you and all your viewers. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.